So yeah, last week we did, we're doing either a two-part or a three-part lesson on Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, but last week we spent most of our time doing the background, going through Ezekiel 36 and 37, remember the valley of, the vision of the valley of dry bones. And then we did get up to, I believe, verse 17 in verse in a chapter 38. So do you remember what we were what we're talking about? Bones. He put the flesh on the bones of Israel. That's right. And that. God from the land of Agog, is it right? Yeah, Magog. Yeah. But what did, when we went through the the Valley of Dry Bones vision that Ezekiel had, what did that, rep, what was that pointing to or picturing? Israel. Yes. Remember we, the bones, remember it was just a pile of bones. And then, then they came together. And so that was the reformation of the nation of Israel. And we talked about how that began towards the end of the 1800s, to be the 19th century. And then, of course, they became a nation in 1948. So the bones coming together was a reformation of the nation of Israel. And then you had the flesh and the sinews coming on them, on the bones, and that was how... We talked a little bit about how that's how they're reestablished as a nation, but then they also prosper. They they have flesh and bones, and that's kind of where they are right now. They have come together. The bones have come together. They're a very prosperous nation, but they were still dead until God breathed life into them when he said, prophesy to the bones in Ezekiel 37, and he said, and he called the bones to life. And that is the picture of the salvation of Israel. So we right now, currently, in the modern-day, very uh, modern-day world, Ezekiel, obviously, is a nation. They're very prosperous. And so, in my opinion, the bones have come together. The, fl the flesh and the sinews have grown onto the bones, but they still don't have life because they're still in unbelief nationally. And they will when God makes them alive, will be at the end of the tribulation period, which will trigger their return, the return of Jesus Christ. And so we, we went through multiple um, in Ezekiel 36 that talked about it in a uh, in, in a way, and then in Ezekiel 37 it talked about it in a vision, in the vision of the valley of dry bones, and it, he explains it in verse thirty, in chapter thirty-seven, where he talks about um, the vision explained in verse eleven. Then he sent to, said to me, "Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel." And then the bones had dried up, and therefore they came together. The flesh and the sinew came on them, and then God breathed life into them. So this is all about Israel. Now, when we get to chapter thirty-eight. We covered a little bit up till verse 17. Talked about who the nations are. This is an invasion. This is a this is a, a little bit more particular than what we've 
been dealing with in 36 and 37. That was about the regathering. And then the end result of the regathering is the, is the salvation of Israel. But in, verse, in chapter 38, we get to the very detailed invasion that is a latter time invasion. And the reason we're covering this is because if ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, this has come up quite a bit in Christian circles. Because they recognize Russia as being an aggressive force in the end times. And this will end in the invasion of Israel. And so the, the, the invasion that happened that is going on right now as we speak is not this invasion, obviously, because they're not invaded. They haven't invaded Israel. And Turkey's not with them. Iran's not with them. There's a whole different level here. But I do, you know, and we talked about if, if the end times is in the near future, then certainly Vladimir Putin would be a pretty, would be the prime candidate to be Gog of Magog. But only the Lord knows that. All right, so we did get up to verse 17, and um, we'll read through the rest of chapter 38. And we get to the good part here now. So remember, our, if you remember last week, we, if you remember, we talked about hook, the hook in the jaw, how God is the one, God, okay, we, we, had a, we have God and we have Gog. God is the the good one, and Gog is the evil person. And God puts the hook in his jaw in verse 4. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out. And so God is the one who initiates this invasion. And we talked about how that works, where that you know there, there's evil purposes in not just this leader of the world, but there's evil purposes in everybody throughout the world, including governmental leaders, that God restrains continuously. God restrains evil every single day. And then when the, when the time is right for him to accomplish his good purposes, he removes restraint. And so what you have here is you have this leader of Russia at this time who, who uh, we'll get to here in a minute, how he has evil thoughts in his heart to invade Israel. And that comes, evil comes from the heart of man. Evil never comes from God. So this is the way we talk about evil is God never authors, he didn't create evil, nor proves of evil. But in the sense that he chooses to allow evil and doesn't have to choose to allow evil. Any evil that comes to pass, God could allow not to or could cause not to happen. And so in that sense he is responsible for evil. You see the difference, though. It's like I could decide something in my heart to do something evil. The evil, it was, it started in me. It didn't start in God. But if God restrains me from doing whatever evil act that was, who knows how many evil He restrained in during my pre-conversion life? It probably kept me alive. Then, and but He, but He, so He can keep me from doing anything I want. He could kill me, and I would not do evil anymore, or anybody. And so, but when an evil action suits his purposes, he's got something in, he, you know, he, he doesn't approve of evil, but he uses evil for good purposes. We've been through that many times. And the cross of Christ is the perfect example, the ultimate example of that. It's the, it's the most wicked action on the human 
human history was the killing, innocent, bludgeoning, and murder of the Son of God. And yet it's also the greatest event in the world because God used that to accomplish salvation. And so as, if, I want, if I have something evil in my, in my heart I want to do, he could restrain it or he could allow me to do it because he's got a purpose in it. And so in the sense that he, he removes the restraint from anybody and doesn't have to, um, the terminology I think is best is that he's, he is responsible for evil. God is. Not in the end. He, always, he doesn't create, doesn't authorize, but he, it won't, wouldn't come to pass. Nothing would have ever, no sin would have ever happened in the history of the world unless God would have allowed it to happen. So in that sense, he's responsible. And that's what we have here is Gog, the leader of Russia, at this particular time has evil thoughts in his heart. And he probably has had these evil thoughts of, in his heart for, who knows, a long time. And God restrains through providence, through whatever other means he would have. But at this time, he removes the restraint. And there's the hook in the jaw. He allows him to invade Israel. And then in verse 17, which is where we'll start. Okay, now yeah, we already covered that last week when in verse 10 where it says, Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. So there's the, where the evil originates is in the heart of Gog. And you will say, I will go up against the... Now, I don't think we covered this last week for some reason. That doesn't seem fresh to me. So I think we'll, I think we begin with verse 7, to be honest. 7? Yeah. Because I don't think we've covered this. No, we haven't. I don't think... Uh, yeah, I think we have actually. Now I think about it. <laughs> My memory is about as good as yours. Yep. But just in review, then, okay. that the the evil in verse ten starts in the heart of Gog. He has he devises an evil plan, and the hook is God removes the restraint. And in verse eleven, we talked about. I I don't. This is what part I don't remember. But they have a land. They have unwalled villages which means that Israel is at peace. They're at security. And so this is where I almost think you have to time this invasion, and this is very difficult to, to try and figure out when this, when this happens in the end time scenario. But this is where I think you ha it has to be after the tribulation begins because they, the, the tribulation agreement involves Israel and, the, and it involves the Antichrist and it's his protection over them. And so they believe that they're safe underneath this covenant. They're very secure. And this language in verse 11 talks about a land of unwalled villages. Like that means, that's a way of saying, that doesn't mean they knock all their walls down literally, but that's a way of saying they feel safe. And that's when this invasion occurs. And so in my opinion, it happens. So in the tribulation period, you have, you know, you have seven years. It begins with a seven-year peace agreement involving Israel. That's what triggers the tribulation period. And then you get the midpoint, 
where the Antichrist turns on them, and then of course you got the second half and then the national salvation of Israel at the end of it. And so between the beginning of the tribulation period and the midpoint, you have relative safety for Israel. Whatever's going on in the planet, it's not affecting Israel. They are safe. And I believe, you know, and that's why I think that this invasion has to occur probably towards the end of the first half of the tribulation period. And this is probably when the Antichrist turns on him, turns on Israel. This is a, obviously a massive invasion. So do you understand what I'm saying there? Not really. Are you guys paying attention? It's like you're over there reading something else. <laughs> okay, what's he say? I can use some advice. That's the tribulation period. Okay. It's Daniel's 70th week is the last seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks to purge Israel. So yeah, that's the first three and a half years where that that's why I agree with that. That that has to this has to be after the tribulation agreement has been made. Because they will feel safe. And then towards the end of the first half, not towards the end of all the tribulation, towards the end of the first half is when I think this invasion occurs. So what we're reading, and this is me, is hasn't happened. No. This is a future invasion. Oh. Yeah. No wonder I'm so confused. Yeah, this is not a historical invasion. This is a latter-day invasion, as we see in verse... Um, it says it a couple times, but in verse 8, After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. So there are some people who would argue this is historical, but there's nothing even close in history that would match up with this. Okay. Yeah. This is this is in the tribulation. This is in the future tribulation period, and when this occurs, I believe. Now, some people believe that it happens before the tribulation period, but almost everybody would agree this is a future event that has not occurred yet, because there's nothing in history that would match up with this even close. And it says the latter years. So yeah. So why we're talking about this is because of what's going on in the current news with Russia becoming very, I mean, incredibly aggressive. And, and so they're, they're, you know, they're talking about, hey, you know, we recognize this as something that could lead to the invasion of Gog and Magog. And again, we talk, if it, it just depends on how far we are from the tribulation period as to whether or not Putin would be Gog. If we're anywhere close, which I think we are, then he would be a very, very prime candidate doesn't mean that he is, but he obviously has been there for 20 years, and he is now becoming very aggressive. 
Huh? Why did you stop? Well, well, first off, he, I mean, this, this is, not the, you know, again, the one going on right now, that's not what we're reading about here. He's, he's, that's nothing that when they, when this invasion occurs, it will be Israel is the one being invaded, not Ukraine. Right, I know that. So that's not this. But it's got people thinking because of his aggressive, because of his aggressiveness. Kitchen door. It could it could end up eventually, theoretically, leading to it. That's what gets that's what has everybody's attention. It says hundred percent on there. It does? Mm-hmm. Okay, it should be at one hundred percent. Let's see how long it lasts. I'm gonna take the charger down with me just in case. It's now three forty five. 345. Alright, see how long it lasts. Well, well, what people are telling me to do is just play it down over and over and over with it going 100%. Let it go down to like 2%. Charge it 100% again. Just keep playing it down because apparently the updates will fix it. Okay. So, yeah, we're talking about the future invasion and the other. It's for her video game. For her video game. Oh. Alright. So we will... This is like a precursor. And they're saying because Putin is doing what he's doing that he possibly could be. Right. Okay. He could be. Now again, there's we went through the whole couple years ago right before I got banned from talking about eschatology. We went through the whole my seven signs indications or indicators that I believe we are approaching the tribulation period because there are th many things converging that would be looking like God is setting the stage for the tribulation period. And we said many, I, every time I talk about this I say the same thing. You, nobody knows the day, nobody knows the time, nobody knows. So I, I never say it'll be this day or it'll be this month or it'll be this year nobody knows but what you can see is what happens during the tribulation period it doesn't happen instantly it ha there has to be a build-up to it and the in the seven indications that I write about it one of them is the nation of Israel being recreated that is a huge super sign at the end time it couldn't have happened without Israel because everything involves Israel in the end times and then to a peace agreement. There's a peace process going on with Israel. Obviously, if you read, listen to the news in the Middle East every day, they're trying to figure out how they can tie in the Abraham Accords with the Palestinians, with Iran, you know, just nonstop desire for, and that's not anything new. You know, they've had the peace, ever since they become a nation, they've been trying to find peace over there. And so a significant peace process involving Israel is another key indication is what I think the next agreement to be made is going to be the big one and it'll be the Antichrist making it with Israel. There will be other events that probably happen before that. And then three, you have globalism. There's going to be a global government in the tribulation period. That doesn't happen instantly. That takes time to build to. And you see right now the process happening. And I think it got accelerated with COVID where everybody was calling for global solutions to global problems. 
and, the, and obviously COVID was a global is a, you know was and is a global problem. And then you had the riots, and then you've had the climate change. Climate change is another thing they're trying to use to make uh, uh, the governments not national anymore, but global, or at least global cooperation. And then you have a push for a one unified one world unified religion, and that's Pope Francis. He's doing that. He's uh, he's been driving that efforts for ever since he's been in office, and you know he's constantly calling for ecumenism with other religions. They're building a, a, a it's called the Abraham House. It, it's going to come together this year, be completed this year. So if you just do any research on that at all, there's massive massive desire for a one world religion and there will be in the tribulation period there will be a one world religion for at least for the first half and so you watch that occurring so these things are building together and of course you have the the necessary technology in order for somebody to control the whole world you have to have technology that can control the whole world that's that's already done that's in the I and mean, we know that the world is pretty much global anyway because of our technology and then let's see what else am I missing here and then Russia Turkey and Iran gaining in power and showing aggression towards Israel they all have and so this is kind of what we're dealing with now is 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 the that alliance has come together and it kind of comes and goes the main three as we talked about last week are Russia Turkey and Iran but you'll have other countries with them so you see cooperation among the nation, but most importantly, they're very powerful nations now, all of them. Russia, Turkey, and Iran are all right there at the peak of their power, or at least uh, Russia and Iran are. And they'll come together, and this is what they'll invade Israel during the tribulation period, I think, is when this, and that's what we're reading about here. And then lastly, uh, the desire for the new temple. The new temple is the sign, is the absolute, uh, that has to happen for the tribulation period in the tribulation period you know I believe that'll be part of the tribulation agreement where they will get their third temple they'll begin to build it in the early part of the tribulation period they'll get their animal sacrifices going and then at the midpoint is when the Antichrist turns on them sits in their temple claims to be God that's written specifically about in several places in the scriptures and so those are all the things that have to have that that we know will happen in the tribulation period and you can just see so much of that building towards that now and the, I think the removal of the church, the rapture of the church, will be kind of the whole, it'll be the accelerant that brings everything together for that tribulation agreement to occur. And so... My Well, we are doing. They're they're doing a lot of things. I mean, the economic things they're doing. They're, I mean, they've sanctioned sanctioned Putin and Russia like nobody's ever been sanctioned before. Um, and they're we're given weapons to Ukraine. But why aren't we going in and stopping it? Because they don't want to do. They don't. They think it'll start World War Three. And that's a that's a tough decision. I can't say that I agree or disagree with that because you you know you don't want to. You don't want to accelerate it into a broader, because that doesn't make anything better if you go, take it from Ukraine and you spread it throughout the whole world. But at the same time, you can't just let him do, you know. Well, enemy, and that's 
Russia, why can't all the other countries? Well, there's not. I mean, China, if if it went world, if it went into a world war, it, China would probably go with Russia, and Iran would go with Russia. It wouldn't be just everybody against Russia. China and Russia alone would be significant enough to for the rest of the world to handle. I mean, they probably would be able to handle it. But that, that, the reason they won't go in there with troops, and that he said again yesterday that we will not go in there with troops, is because he doesn't want to start World War III. They'd rather give up Ukraine than start World War III. That's the way they view it. And again, I can't, I don't know, I don't have a right decision or a wrong decision with that. Now they have said that if he goes beyond into a NATO, because Ukraine's not NATO, a NATO nation, so they don't have a treaty with us. If you're a NATO nation, that means if you get attacked, we are obligated to treat it as if we've been attacked. But Ukraine is not a NATO nation. They were interested in becoming that, and that's kind of what created this whole problem here, or at least part of it. But if they were to go beyond the Ukrainian borders, they would go into a NATO nation, and then we would be obligated to. And I don't think Russia would do that, because they would know that they would be, they would be forcing World War III, and that doesn't benefit them either. World War III doesn't benefit anybody. See, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I really try not to under get too much into the politics of it, but it's, yeah, it's it's a it's tough to watch what's going on there. You haven't seen that kind of weaponry. Yeah, he's like, hey, me. not good. War doesn't help anybody. But the reason we have war in the world, the scripture gives the reason, is that we, we want and we do not have, and so we war and we fight. People, people see something they want and they can't get it unless they fight, and so they fight. No, you know, again, yeah, so this is a future war. What's going on now is not this invasion, but eventually this will happen again. I think it happens in the first half of the tribulation period. So all that gets us to verse 17. Where I thought we were. I think we are. So I'll read through the rest of the end of the chapter. Thus says the Lord God, Are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you out against them? It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth 
and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down, the steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him. I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. And I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So first off, in verse 17, this is one of those verses I struggle with, is that it talks about, are you the one, talk, God is talking, God is prophesying through, <coughs> through Ezekiel to Gog of Magog, and he, and he asked him a question, are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel? Now exactly when that was prophesied before this is kind of difficult to pinpoint. There's not a clear prophecy in the Old Testament that I could find that, at least, you know, that was I was absolutely sure was the, what this was speaking of, except for the closest I came was Jeremiah 6.2. Maybe being... Hang on one second, one second, I'm sorry. You gotta, he's got something in his mouth he's not supposed to have, and I don't know what it is. Hunter. Hunter. Are you sure? Doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like he has anything. No, maybe he ate it. Maybe he probably swallowed it. Here it is. Okay, that's what he had. He's a bad, bad dog. But maybe I think this is referring to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2. I'm not even going to go back to read that, but just to point out that that may be what... Oh, yeah, he's got he's chewing on something. It looks like it's a piece of tissue. Yeah. He'll be okay. let him eat it if it's just tissue oh. time to bribe him there it is he finds it if it's there he finds it And so in verse 17, the ones who spoke of him in prior days, one of the prophets, I think Jeremiah in chapter 6, verse 2, but that's certainly not anything I'd be dogmatic about. But then we get to the good part where we get to the reason of the invasion. The reason God allows the invasion is because he will be the one to defend Israel. 
this will be an invasion that will will appear to make yeah, I mean you just think about it if you just think about it just in terms of current the current you know these current nations that will invade Russia alone would overpower Israel Israel has a pretty solid military but they could not handle Russia one on one right now and then you add Turkey and you add Iran to it and then you ha add several other nations from the south and this will be an overwhelming invasion but it won't be a fair fight because what they don't see is the one true and living God is on the side of Israel and so verse 18 it will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel declares the Lord God that my fury will mount up in my anger I don't think it's wire. It might be some of that plumber's tape. Oh. It's probably what it is. That's probably why he's he's struggling with it because it's like kind of sticky. Okay. Yeah. I tried to pick it all up, but he's he probably is not enjoying that. Hey, what are you doing? Oh. I just gave Oh, it's one of your needle strips. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, don't eat that. Timer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Not a problem. So we will, or so... God, this invasion will bring out the anger of God. Now, a little note I have here on this is, is so this is interesting to think about this. So when they when they invade, this will anger God. It will it will that His fury will mount up in His anger, and so. Obviously, this is not anything God didn't know was going to happen. God has never learned. God has never learned anything. God has decreed everything from eternity. That is, He has planned everything, including allowing evil like this. So He's not reacting like as if it's a surprise to Him. But God does react in time and space to evil that He He decreed to happen in eternity. Annihilate Israel. Yeah. Yes. Israel is just an abomination of the Antichrist. You want to play a great earthquake? That's what it says. We read that. So God is reacting in time and space to this invasion, although He ought decreed it to happen from all eternity. And so when this happens, it will create, it will, his fury will mount up in his anger. And in his zeal, his zeal for Israel and his blazing wrath, yes, this is when we get into the details of how he, he destroys this invading nation and nations. 
we have an earthquake. Verse 19, a, a, big, a great earthquake. That that word "great" is the uh, Greek word "dabar" or "dabar," D-A-B-A-R. Oh no, that's declare. Sorry, it's the wrong word. How did I miss that? There we go. Great is the word gadal. And it means large in magnitude and extent. And so this is a very, very, very large earthquake in the land of Israel. Actually, this, you know, if you go on to verse 20, it seems like this is not just a localized earthquake either. This is a global earthquake. Yeah. It talks about all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. Now again, we'll get into the timing of this here, maybe towards the end of this lesson, but it's, this is when it gets difficult to time, to time the beginning and the end of it. Because this sounds like the end of the tribulation period. The invasion, I think, has to happen before the midpoint because Israel has to be in 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 peace and security they have to be uh, comfortable and they're not comfortable at all in the second half of the tribulation period once the antichrist turns on them and does the uh, uh, does you know commits the abomination of desolation he turns on israel and israel has to flee to survive so they don't have any peace in the second half of the tribulation great in the tribulation what we would refer to as the great tribulation and so I think the beginning of this invasion has to happen before the midpoint. But when you read how it ends, it sounds like the end of the tribulation period. And we'll get to that a little bit more later on. But right now we'll just deal with the details of how he deals with them. First we have this massive earthquake. Where, I mean, the mountains will be thrown down. Just a cataclysmic global earthquake. And then verse 21... I will call for a sword against him on my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And so these invading armies will turn on each other. Either God just causes confusion supernaturally, or however he does it, he, that's the end result, is these armies that are all on the same team, they turn on each other. So you have a great earthquake, and then you have confusion that leads to fighting infighting. And then, verse 22, With pestilence and with blood I will enter into judgment with him. I will reign on him and on his troops and on his many peoples, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Now that's hard to know exactly how that will execute itself. Uh, MacArthur says, He will further decimate the ranks by pestilence, a deluge of rain, large hailstones, plus fire and brimstone. So these are uh, uh, the, you know these these descriptions do line up more towards the end of the tribulation period. So we have supernatural involvement, supernatural intervention by God. This is not Israel all of a sudden, you know, fighting them off with their military tanks or with their with their army. This is God directly getting involved supernaturally through an earthquake through confusion amongst the invading armies where they begin to kill each other. And as we'll get into chapter 39, probably next week, we'll see more details exactly how this 
works itself out. They're literally, their their flesh will rot on their bones as they stand. I mean, it just will. I don't know if you remember the the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie when they when they would find the ark. You know, of course, it's fiction. They're looking for the the lost ark of the covenant in the in the Bible, and then they you know they found it and they open it up and this you know it caused the then they they would they go from their flesh to their bones they're just they would just all of a sudden rot on their bones they'd be immediately be decimated, and that's what it sounds like this is going to be. We'll get like I said that'll be in chapter thirty nine gets into more detail. So he supernaturally involves himself. And defends Israel. And this could be the the earthquake here could be the earthquake of Revelation chapter eleven, verse thirteen. Which is this is this again, this is dealing with a tribulation period is dealing with the second half of the tribulation period, the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 after they do their testimony in Jerusalem, they're killed raised from the dead and they're taken up into heaven and then and then verse 13 is right after that happens and in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven so I think that is at the end of the tribulation period, and that is the national, the rest, I think there are the, the nation of Israel who survive, and they, they, are, they, they believe, and they're saved. And then Revelation chapter 16, verse, that's 18. Yeah, Revelation chapter 16, verse 18, this is the seven bowls of wrath. So this is the very end of the very end of the judgments. You have the seven seals, then you have the seven or no, you have the seven, yeah, the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. So the seventh bowl is the last of the last judgments during the tribulation. So it, it's towards the end of the very end of the tribulation period. And then verse 18, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. So it's the greatest earthquake in the history of the world. That seems to line up with what we're talking about in Ezekiel chapter 38. This great earthquake of verse 19. So this is kind of what we're going to deal with primarily here is this this is why it is very difficult to time this out because the invasion almost has to occur before the midpoint of the tribulation period, but it seems like it's an, it's an evasion and then boom, it's dealt with by God. But it cannot be the case because the end of it, when God deals with that, seems like it's three and a half years later. So, and we'll, we'll continue to read here and then I'll kind of summarize that. So we're dealing more with the timing of it right this week and then next week we'll deal with chapter 39. And so in verse 23, so that's how he deals with it. And then verse 23 it says, this is, the, this is the end game, the goal of everything that's happening here is God will be magnified. God says in verse 23, I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. 
and they will know that I am the Lord. That sounds like the end of the, the very end of the tribulation period. And I think when he's saying that they will know that I am the Lord, he's talking about specifically there the nation of Israel. They will know at that point that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They will believe. And they'll know that this, this supernatural event came from God. And so that's the that's the timing issue again. Is that that is that sounds like it has to be at the end of the tribulation period. I don't see how that. Could, I've tried to figure out a way that that could be any time before the end of the tribulation period. Because I, what I want to see, what I you know, what would make more sense on a logical timeline is that they invade at the end of the first half of the tribulation period, and God destroys them immediately there. And there have been some, you know, some say that, that he does, and then the Antichrist takes credit for the work of God that he does here, and that's what gives him, you know, credibility to claim that he is God. He sits in the temple and everything else. And that's, that's a possibility. But, but it just seems like to me that when God deals with this, it matches up so tightly with the end of the tribulation period. So that's what always really has made this very difficult. Now one possible explanation that this is not the end of the tribulation period in verse 23 is that the nations, including Israel, will know that he is the Lord in the sense Egypt did in Exodus chapter 7 verse 5. So not savingly, but able to clearly see the God of Israel acted. Now I'll go back there, I don't remember what that said. Exodus chapter 7, verse 5. Alright, I'll just read. This is, uh, I'll just read the whole chapter from 1 to 5. This is ex Exodus during the, obviously, the freeing of Israel from Egypt. This is Exodus chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And this is verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. And so, the way I understand that, that Egypt never did believe, like savingly, that the, the God of Israel is the one true God. And so that, you see what I'm saying there? That the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They don't, they don't know him like know him personally because they end up chasing after them. And they end up you know, going, you know, parting the parting of the Red Sea, and then God washes them out there. And so they, you know, this is not the salvation of the Egyptians. So that's the best I have is how this could possibly be not the end of the tribulation period, is if it is. This is not talking about them knowing him in a saving way. They just go, okay, that had to be God, because there's no other way to explain that. But I don't know. No, I mean, there is really no Christian nation, um, but I think they're primarily an Islamic nation. 
but back then they certainly weren't. But again, I still don't. I still have a hard time believing that this this is not the national, especially lining up the earthquake, the great earthquake, the global earthquake. It seems like the end of the tribulation period to me. But that's one possible explanation. Or, or this is a reach, but I'll say it anyway. There's a three and a half year time gap between verses 22 and 23. So what I'm saying is that. This, that this judgment happens, or, or this invasion happens at the, mid, at the end of the midpoint, toward the, toward the end of the first half of the tribulation period. So right towards the midpoint, not quite to the midpoint. The invasion occurs, and then God judges them on the mountains, destroys them with all of this. And then Israel is not regenerated until the end of the until so verse 23 would be verse 22 would be right there at the midpoint and then verse 23 would be three and a half years later when they know that he is the Lord when they believe but that seems unlikely too again because the, the earthquake and the things that match up just seem to match up with the judgments at the end of the tribulation period but I'm trying to stretch it and see so and in that case the Antichrist would take credit for God's destruction of Gog at the midpoint so, so this invasion is, is not the Antichrist invasion. The, the Antichrist takes over Israel, but he does it through, he, takes, he just sits in the temple, and I don't know how exactly precisely he gets to that point, like militarily. But this, this invasion of Ezekiel 38, I don't believe in Gavalves the Antichrist, even though I think MacArthur does. Where it's Russia, Turkey, and Iran, other nations, they come in, all right, they're devastated by God directly, by the earthquake, pestilence and everything else and the Antichrist takes credit for it and he claims to be God and people believe that he did this and protected Israel you know and then he turns on Israel and sits in the sits in the temple um, so then he would claim himself to be God takes over Israel at that point commits the you know also possibly you know the Antichrist the scripture teaches that he is killed and resurrected you know, whether that is a, a deception or if it's a reality, that God would just allow a supernatural resurrection there, or I tend to think it's a deception. People believe that he's killed, this person is killed and resurrected, that all might come to fruition right at the midpoint. And this does seem to match up with Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45. And we'll go there real quick. So I'm just trying to figure out the timing here. Again, I'm trying to figure out a way that this the, the devastation could be at the midpoint. The end of it could be at the midpoint. And I don't see a way that I could logically do it, but I'm trying here. You can see that. I'm trying hard. You're trying very hard. But we'll yeah, go ahead and go over to Daniel chapter 11. And we'll begin in verse 40. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. All right, and we'll read through 45. Now, this is these are verses on the Antichrist, dealing with, it's an interesting chapter because some of it is fulfilled, and then most people believe, most 
uh, you know, people who believe in futuristic eschatology would say that beginning with verses 40 through 45, it goes to the future. And you can see why. I'll just read it through. At the end time, that's why we think it's future, the king of the south will collide with him, talking about the Antichrist. The king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow, and pass through them. And we're talking about the Antichrist here. He will also enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hands, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But again, we're talking about the Antichrist here, not God. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his, the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to an end, and no one will help him. And so I'm trying to figure out, I watched something on this a week or two ago, and so the king of the north is probably Gog of Magog. It's probably Gog of Magog. King of the south now, the king of the east is probably the king of China, or, you know, the Chinese nation. Is somebody trying to get in? I don't think so. I think it was them making noise somewhere else. Yeah, I don't think so. So this is all action of the Antichrist from verse 40 to 45, sometime during the tribulation period. Again, it's hard to time all this out. But the one, the, what I wanted to point to is verse 44, when it talks about what rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. And so one possibility is that this is the Ezekiel 38-39 invasion, And that, that God would take, God destroys the invading armies and, and the Antichrist takes credit for it and sits in the temple. Because in verse 45 is what it says, he pitches his tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. And that is Jerusalem. So the Antichrist will end up headquartered in Jerusalem during the Great Tribulation. That's where he will sit in the temple and claim to be God. And so I'm just pointing out here that maybe, maybe if verse 44 is the invasion, the Ezekiel 38-39 invasion, then that would, that God would destroy that invasion and then the Antichrist would take credit for it and then sit in the temple. But I still think with the, with the way God does it, it sounds awfully, it seems a lot more likely that, it, that the beginning of it is at, the end of the first half of the tribulation period and the 
end of it is at the end of the tribulation period. So you have a three and a half year gap between the approximately between the invasion and the conclusion of it. And that's very positive. I mean, that's the best I have with it. And so I summarize it with see if I can find it here. I summarize that by saying this. Again, I'm certainly not dogmatic on this. I throw my hands up in the air every time I study this because I don't know. This is, but this is where I've kind of concluded. Is that the Ezekiel 38-39 wars will be a blend of two wars. It will, it will be mostly fulfilled beginning just before the mid-trib and ending by God's direct judgment at the end of the tribulation. So you, you would have the Ezekiel 38 invasion and the War of Armageddon, so this thing is, it makes it confusing also, is the War of Armageddon is a dis different war than that. And that's at the end of the tribulation. That's when all the nations come in, including China. Everybody comes in. One last invasion of Israel from multi-directions that is not included in the Ezekiel 38 invasion. So I think there's different invasions. So you have the Ezekiel 38 invasion and the War of Ar Armageddon beginning at different times. So the, so the mid-trib is when the Ezekiel 38 invasion begins. And at the end of the tribulation is when the War of Armageddon begins, the invasion. So they're two different invasions, but they end together. They end at the same time at the end of the tribulation period. And then an ultimate fulfillment at the end of the Millennial Kingdom is also possible, which we'll get into that maybe next week. It is. It's a future history lesson. So that's the best I have, is that I think of the, the Ezekiel invasion begins at the midpoint, and then God ends it at the end of the tribulation period. But I could be wrong. It could be begin and end at the midpoint. It is. It is difficult. But it's a glorious difficulty. So we got through chapter... Ezekiel 38. We'll do Ezekiel 39 next week. Mark it down. Well, we all remember that. Yeah. Chapter 39.